This morning, we're going to talk about a sensitive but very important subject. It's a subject that probably we need to talk about more. Um, We're going to talk about lust and the sin of lust. We need to talk about this particular subject because of how it's ravaging the church. It's destroying individual lives. Marriages and families are being torn apart. It's destroying pulpits. I'm sure many of you have heard of ministers and pastors who have fallen victim to sexual sin and the church has been affected because of that. And effectively, it's destroying our testimony as the people of God, not living in accordance with the holiness that God has called us to. So we need to talk about this. It's very timely, very appropriate. And we also need to talk about it because Jesus asked us to. He deals with the subject in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, one of the main objectives of Christ's teaching is to challenge what's in our hearts. He wants to bring about transformation from the inside out so that we don't just focus on our behavior, but we focus on the heart that underlies it. He wants us to question what we long for and what we desire and how what we desire affects the way that we behave in life. Jesus wants us to consider as his people where true satisfaction is found. Because when we seek to find satisfaction, when we seek to to have our desires fulfilled in ways that do not honor God, that always leads to our destruction. And we see that on display in the sin of lust. Lust, the sexual desire that, that is described by lust, always looks to give satisfaction that it cannot give. And when it is pursued, the effect of it will always be fleeting and it will lead to your destruction. Remember, Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes that we talked about earlier in our study of the Sermon on the Mount that true blessing is for the pure in heart, according to verse eight, because they shall see God True blessing, verse 6, are for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake because they will be satisfied. What we're talking about this morning is a battle for holiness. What we're talking about this morning is where true satisfaction, joy, and happiness are found. We're talking about kingdom fitness, to live lives that are worthy of the king, the holy and righteous king, that rules over us as his people in his kingdom. Jesus wants your affections as your king. He wants you to desire him above every other thing. And he wants your lives to be reflected of that chief desire. He is a better object of our desire because he is one who truly satisfies. And when we're satisfied in Christ, all of our other human desires will be rightly situated. I want you to hear me this morning. Sex and sexual desire in and of itself is not a bad thing. It is a good gift from God. But like any gift, we can pervert it for our own pleasure. We can pervert it 
into a place where it becomes a God that we pursue more than the God who gave it to us. And unfortunately, this particular gift has been problematic for the people of God throughout their history. And that's why we, especially today in the environment that we live in as the people of God, need to be on guard in order to remain blameless for the gospel, fit for the kingdom that God is calling us into. So let's see how Jesus challenges us in this area of kingdom fitness, in this area of obedience this morning from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. And I want to say this to all the parents in the room. I know this is kind of an uncomfortable conversation, but we need to have it. I'm going to be as appropriate as I can be in the pulpit. I don't want to dishonor what happens in this room. But I also want to challenge you that your children are going to hear about this. And they need to be informed from the Bible about these particular subjects. And I want you to know that we're going to come alongside you in this. If this opens up uncomfortable conversations, we have resources, we have pastors, we have ministers, we have people who want to come alongside you in this. But uh, we can't not talk about it. It's too important for us to ignore. And of course, that's also true when we're doing expository preaching. When the text brings us to something, we've got to deal with it. And that's where we are today, okay? So Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, here's what the Word of God says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Well, you can see that Jesus once again begins with a, a reference to the law. A reference specifically to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, one of the Ten Commandments, where God, through the prophet Moses, says that the people of God should not commit adultery. From the very beginning, as God is laying out his covenant with his people and, and, and what it means for them to be his people, to, for him to, to keep his favor upon them and for them to live in a way that is worthy of the covenant that God is giving with them, he wants them to know that they need to honor the marriage covenant. God's saying, I'm making a covenant with you that you will be my people and I will be your God. And how you interact with even lesser covenants like marriage reflects upon the seriousness with which you take the covenant that I'm engaging with you. If I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, you need to honor the marriage covenant that you are making before me. So do not commit adultery. Because when you commit adultery, you're not abiding by the spirit of the law. You're not loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not showing the people around me that, that what I've given you and your wife or your husband is a gift. You're not showing a, a covenant faithfulness that your, your word is true, that you promise to be with them and you're going to stay with them. You're not honoring me in the way that you live in that covenant. And you're not honoring your brother or your sister. You're not honoring the person you're married to, but you're also not honoring the brother or sister that you're having an affair with their spouse. And so from the very beginning, Jesus wants us to understand that in his kingdom, the idea of adultery matters. That there's a, there's a sinfulness there 
that we're not loving God, we're not loving our neighbor, and that has to be rectified if we're going to live in the kingdom. Because we don't want to see that sinfulness creep up as the people of God. We're called to live differently. We're called to be set apart. We're called to live in a way that loves God and loves our neighbor. And for that to take place in the kingdom, adultery cannot be present. And if there is, there are consequences. There's judgment. Jesus mentions this. Adultery and the lust that drives it will ultimately lead to hell if we don't do anything about it. It will ultimately lead to judgment if nothing is done about it. And so from the very beginning of his teaching, Jesus reminds us of the purpose of the law. He's exposing sin. He's telling us what is not appropriate as his people. And he's telling us that there are consequences for those actions. But as Jesus has done throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he also wants to expand the teaching of the law. He wants to drive deeper into our hearts to make sure that we understand the point of the law. Remember, Jesus is not just concerned with our outward behavior. He's concerned with the heart that leads to that behavior. And that's the ultimate goal of the law, to show us the the brokenness of our hearts, the sinfulness of our hearts. And he's saying, listen, adultery is a behavior that comes from a different place. Adultery doesn't just happen. It comes from unattended sin that's present in your heart. It comes from entertaining lustful thoughts that leads to sexual expression in a way that does not honor the Lord. And this matters to God. This heart matters to God. Because it is the root of sin that God wants to change So that in every facet of our body, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we can love him. And what's interesting about this, as Jesus presses into the heart of adultery, as he exposes the the lust that that drives us to adultery, he, he prepares us as his people to live in victory over the sin by showing us the pathway of sin. As he he gets to the root of sin, he shows us the way that sin entraps us so that in him we can live in victory as his people. He says, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand, verse 30, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Verse 28 again. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, the actions, the outward actions are not all that God is concerned about. He's concerned about the heart and the process that leads to those actions so that we can understand the way that sin captures our hearts and leads us to destruction, leads us to a place of failure. So that in his power and the spirit that God provides for us, we can fight against it and walk in holiness as the people of God. I want to offer two examples in Scripture that affirm what Jesus is teaching us here about the nature of sin and the way that that sin comes after us. Specifically in the area of lust. 
And I want us to see one figure in the Old Testament who is successful in overcoming that that simple temptation and one who falls victim. In fact, we're going to look at the one who falls victim first. We're going to look at the story of David and we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And we're going to see how in both instances they are tempted with lust. They're tempted in sexual desire. And we're going to see how sin works to capture their heart and how they respond in that moment as as an example to us of how we can face sexual temptation today in the hope of walking in victory in a way that honors the Lord. Let's look at the story of David first. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. It's the story of, of David and Bathsheba. At this point, David is already king. But in a time, according to verse 1 of chapter 11, when kings are supposed to be out to battle, David stays home. So notice from the very beginning, he's not where he's supposed to be. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites. They besieged Rabbis. So they're out there fighting. They're doing the work that God called them to, but David's at home. He remains at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. He's walking on the roof of his house. Again, not where he's supposed to be. He saw a woman bathing. And there's the beginning point. He looks at something and he begins to desire that woman. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. So he's not where he's supposed to be. He begins to desire something that he's not supposed to have. He inquires about her and finds out that she's married. So she, he shouldn't desire her sexually, not only because he's not married to her, but because also she's married to someone else. And at that moment, if David was operating in a way that honors the Lord, he would have stopped his pursuit, but he did not. He sent and inquired of the woman And then he sent messengers who took her, and she came to him, verse 4, and lay with her. Then she returned, having been purified herself from her uncleanness, returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? So notice what we see here in the life of David. He entertained a thought that he shouldn't have had. He had an ungodly desire that he pursued. And if you read the story any longer, you'll know that that desire leads to a whole bunch of destruction. He ends up killing the wife of uh, the husband of Bathsheba to cover it up. He and Bathsheba lose the child that she conceives right here. And there's a whole host of issues in his family moving forward that are tied to wrong sexual desire and lust. So notice how sin captures his heart here. Notice how he entertains with his eye, with his hands, ungodly desires. And how that leads to destruction. How it's not fit for the kingdom of God, the people of God to live in this way. Now let's let's compare that to Joseph and the story of he and Potiphar's wife. Joseph, you may remember, was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were jealous of him. And along the way, though, God continues to give him favor every single place that he ends up. And that's including in Potiphar's house. He's a slave in Potiphar's house, but Potiphar gives him control over the entirety of his household. He takes, he he finds favor with Potiphar and the Lord honors it. But he also begins to find favor with Potiphar's wife and not good favor. And we see this in verse 6 of chapter 39 in the book of Genesis. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He must have been pretty good looking for the Bible to put that in there. 
And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. So now notice this time, he's the object of lustful desire, but she still uses her eyes. And, he sa- and she said to him, lie with me. But he refused. He said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. But then one day he went into the house to do his work. None of the men of the house were there. And she caught him, Potiphar's wife, by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. A completely different reaction, right? In this particular moment, Joseph is tempted. Or at least he is an object of temptation. But he has to make a decision when temptation comes his way. Do I satisfy the desires of the flesh or do I honor the Lord? And because Joseph had already resolved in his heart to honor the Lord, when sexual temptation comes, he flees. And I think you can easily see which one of these reactions is more fit for the people of God and the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, friends, many of us, probably including people in this room, have taken the path of David instead of the path of Joseph. Now, I don't want to overrun you with statistics this morning, but I think it's important for us to understand how rampant lust is in our culture and how much of a stumbling block it is for us as we pursue to pursue following Christ and to live in a way that honors Christ. And so I'm going to offer some statistics, and I'm specifically going to talk about the porn industry because I think it's fueling our lust and the destruction of families and the people of God. So let me just walk through these just so we can make sure that we have an understanding of how much we need to be on guard as the people of God and prepared to respond like Joseph and not David. Did you know that the porn industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, B, capital B? In 2005, the porn industry did over $3 billion of business. 28,258 people online are watching porn every second. Every second. And that's probably increased in all likelihood in light of COVID, right? People being at home, bored. So just multiply all these things that you're hearing today in light of the time that we're in right now. $3,075.64 are spent on porn every second. 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. And I want to say this morning that it's not just men who are looking at this stuff. It's also women. I used to think, or I guess it used to be the, the, the assumption that this was a young man's problem. But it's a problem for all men, and it's a problem for men and women. 79% of 18 to 30-year-old men admit to viewing porn at least once a month. 67% of men ages 31 to 49 admit to viewing porn at least once a month. And 49% of men 50 to 68 years old admit to viewing porn once a month. Women, 76% of women, 76% of women ages 18 to 30 admit to viewing porn once a month. Now that 
drops dramatically as you get older, but notice just how difficult that's becoming for young women in particular. 60% of women ages 31 to 49 and 4% of women ages 50 to 68 admit to viewing porn once a month. Now, Jerry, what about within the church? Is it different within the church? Unfortunately, it's not that different from the statistics outside of the church to inside of the church. Now, again, there are always caveats with stats depending on how faithfully you attend. This is, these are self-identifying Christians, people who claim the name of Christ. 64% of Christian men admit to viewing porn at least once a month. Not that different from the national average. And 15% of Christian women admit to viewing porn once a month. There's a great quote by a guy named Bill Perkins. If you think you can't fall into sexual sin, then you're godlier than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon. Friends, it's very clear that the enemy is using lust to discredit and challenge the people of God, captivating our hearts. While those involved in the local church may be doing better, we are not doing well. Many of us are falling victim to the attack of the enemy. Many of us are consumed with something that does not honor the Lord. We are not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Remember, every time you engage in watching porn, you're not just victimizing yourself to sin. You're also extending the victimization of those who are in those films and taking those pictures. Is it loving your neighbor well to objectify a woman or a man like that? To make them not in the image of God, but a figment of your imagination to satisfy a sexual desire. They need Jesus too. And when you fuel that industry, you're not only fueling your own destruction, you're fueling theirs as well. And that's not appropriate for the people of God. And of course, what begins in the heart certainly moves forward in behavior. And lust leads to adultery, leads to emotional inappropriate affairs, sex outside of marriage, you name it. Friends, there's a fire. There's a different pandemic happening right now than just COVID. And we need to be on guard. We need to be ready. We need to see how sin attacks our hearts and we need to pray for a new heart, a new heart that can allow us to walk in victory. And praise the Lord that Jesus offers us that. Praise the Lord that Jesus offers us a better desire. It's important to know how sin captures us. It's also important to remember how we can be captured by something better. And we see the beginnings of this laid out in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There's a tension in this text that I think we need to deal with, especially as we deal with lust. And, and I've, I've had the privilege of walking with a lot of guys through this over the years. And as a pastor, we always have to walk this tension of how much do we encourage in, in your behavior and how much do we encourage you to rely upon the Lord as you struggle at overcoming lust in your life? And I want to remind us this morning that ultimate freedom and ultimate satisfaction are only found in Jesus, only found in Christ. You cannot be good enough on your own to be righteous before God. 
You cannot will yourself in your own strength out of sin. It's not possible. Do you remember what Jesus said to the people who were listening early in chapter 5? As he's talking about coming to fulfill the law, he says in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the people who are most committed to walking according to the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying that it's impossible, that the best men... Women, the best that you have to offer is not good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. You need a different kind of salvation. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And that's what Christ has come to deliver. He was perfect according to the law. And now, his righteousness, he is offering to us. The righteousness we could not achieve, he has achieved for us and now extends it to us. And as he gives us that righteousness, he transforms us giving us new hearts that are able to follow and long and desire for the things of God. And only when that happens can you find victory over any sin, including lust. Paul writes about this in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. You can turn there in your Bible if you'd like. A very important passage as we think about what it means to walk in victory. Here's what he begins to say in verse 20. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of this world. Why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Things like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed, listen, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's how we think we overcome sin. I just got to stop doing it. I just got to stop touching it. I got to stop looking at that. And that's the way that I overcome sin. But that's not what the Bible says. What Paul says is that your commitment to stopping that thing actually brings about a self-reliance that's destructive. You need a different approach to overcoming sin. So he says... Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. For if you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When, your Christ, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Then you can put to death what is earthly within you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Friends. As followers of Christ, we're not called to manage our sin. We're called to put it to death. And the only way we can put to death that sin is to join in the death of Christ and walk in the life that he alone provides. That's it. Now, from our human understanding, it makes sense to try to put this thing to death on our own, to, to control it. But let me just give you an illustration to, to help you understand the, the folly of that. You, some of you heard me use this illustration before. Let's say that brownies, by some cruel joke of God, suddenly are sinful. Okay? Brownies. But man, you like brownies. You love brownies. You want to eat brownies all the time. But you know, because of God's word, that brownies are, some, are sinful. And you just begin praying, God, you know I love brownies. 
I want to eat brownies all the time, but you know I cannot have brownies. Would you please remove brownies from my life? Let me just not touch brownies. I don't want anybody baking brownies for me, God. Would you just remove brownies from menus? Don't have any commercials with brownies, God. I just need brownies to be out of, would you deliver me from brownies? Brownies, brownies, brownies. What are you thinking about all the time as you're thinking about overcoming brownies? Brownies. When you focus on the earthly thing, you will not find victory because you're continuing to focus on the earthly thing. You need something better. You need a different focus. You need something that actually satisfies. You need something more beautiful than this world can offer. A new vision, a new place to put your eyes. You need Christ. And it's amazing. It's amazing. How when we are captivated by the beauty of Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It doesn't matter how many appendages you cut off. It doesn't matter what actions you take to prevent your heart from being captured by lust. If there's no transformation of desire, you will not find freedom. I had a guy I ministered to back in Houston, and he, he went radical. He got so tired. I was so proud of him, how, how sick of his addition to pornography he got, that he moved into a house with some guys, gave them his phone, got a new phone that didn't have all the smart technology, took his door off of his room so there would not be any privacy That's how committed he was to walking in freedom. But guys, even with all of that, he still fell. He still fell. Because there wasn't a change in his heart. There wasn't an encounter with Christ that changed him. He was still trying to have a righteousness that he could achieve in his own, like the scribes and the Pharisees. He wasn't relying on the righteousness of Christ. Jesus gives you new desires. And that's what you need. That's what we're called to be as the people of God, to have a new desire, be satisfied by Christ. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. What better thing is there to allow your eyes to be captured by than the glory of God? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be satisfied. Look to Christ, see Christ, be satisfied there. That's the only way that you'll find victory and be fit for the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean that we don't live wisely. Because Jared, there are some, some things that Jesus asks us to do here. He does say, poke out your right eye. Why would he do that? Is he, is he promoting self-mutilation here? Do I need to cut off my arm if it offends me? He's using hyperbole. At that time, right eye, right arm were the the best weapons you had in battle. And if you lost those things, you were considered weak. Jesus is saying, no, you're weak if you're stumbling in sin. I'd rather rather you be strong in righteousness than strong for battle. So if it offends you, cut it off. You've got to walk in wisdom in order to, to walk in Victory. So here's the question. When are you most vulnerable to sin? When are you 
most likely to fall into temptation? And how can you resist even being in that circumstance? We've got to recognize, guys, that even if we're walking in Christ, we're not fully glorified yet. And there's, we still live in a fallen, broken world. And we don't want to put ourselves into positions where we have to make the choice. Listen, you're, it's, in, it's impossible to remove every possible temptation from your life. But you don't have to help in that process, right? If you're an alcoholic or you struggle with alcohol, don't go hanging out in bars. You know what I'm saying? And so if you struggle with lust, there are things that you should do. There are, there are things that you shouldn't watch because you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have to make the choice of whether or not to indulge or to flee. So let me ask you this. Do you need to get rid of your phone? Jordan and I talk all the time about how worried we are for Jude because of just how much access there are to things that would steal his heart from the Lord on a phone. Maybe some of you in here today have been consumed with lust and your phone is the vehicle that the enemy is using to lead you there. Do you need to get rid of your phone? But Jared, how do I find directions? How can I you know, check my email? How can I do, listen, people did it for thousands of years before smartphones. There's, it, is your holiness worth it? Is your integrity worth it? Do you need to get off social media? Well, Jared, how, how are people going to know what I'm up to or, or where I'm at or how good I look? Nobody cares. I mean, not ultimately. And is it worth, is it worth your holiness to have that temptation there? Maybe you need to stop watching certain kinds of movies or TV shows. But Jared, I'm bored all the time. You know, I, I, just, I, need, a good, I need a good story. Go read something. You don't have to, you have to put your eyes on that stuff. Some of y'all need to stop going to the gym. Start working out at home. Where is temptation knocking at your door? Ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you evidence, to help you know yourself so that you can walk in wisdom. It is worth it. And remember, if there is no repentance, that may signify something greater. If there's no desire in you to flee from these things, but rather to indulge them, that is not characteristic of someone who's truly following Christ. And friends, the fire of hell awaits. Now, I don't want to say if you're consumed with sexual temptation or lust right now, or if you're in sin like that, if you're addicted to pornography, that you're not a Christian. It's possible you're not. If there's not, there's not true repentance there. But there are so many Christians who are. We've got to walk in freedom, and we need some wisdom in order to help ourselves walk in a way that honors the Lord. Cut out your eye, cut off your arm. Whatever it takes to allow the transformed heart that God has given you to actually show up in your life. So, how can we respond this morning to 
Very sobering, difficult passage. Firstly, have you found the righteousness that Jesus alone can provide? Have you been transformed by the inside out, from the inside out by the gospel of Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Whatever sin it is. We've, we've talked about one sin a lot today, but a lot of different sins, guys, a lot of ways that we dishonor the Lord. Have you repented of that and trusted in Christ alone for salvation? Have you recognized the only way you can get to God, the only way you can have to be satisfied, the only way you can see God is through Christ? If you haven't, would you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved today? You can join the kingdom of God today. You can sit under the rule and reign of King Jesus today. Wouldn't that be a great thing? For those of us who are in Christ, are you living in the victory of Christ? Or are you right now living in condemnation? Does your thought life, does your marriage life, does it look like it's under the rule and reign of King Jesus, fit for the kingdom of God? The stats suggest that there are many in this room who need to repent today and probably need to walk in accountability. Let me just remind you of the gift of community. The enemy wants to isolate you. He wants you to think you're alone. The first step of finding victory is to tell a brother or sister that you need help. And when something's brought to the light, it loses its bite. My friend Stephen Trammell used to say, Tell somebody today, tell one of us, pastors, we want to walk with you. We want you to find victory to help you get your eyes on Jesus. To have better desires that honor him. Will you confess this morning to Jesus your sin and will you confess to a brother or sister to help you walk in victory? Maybe you need to confess to a parent, teens, college students. It's tough, I get it. It is worth losing some freedom to have greater freedom. Talk to your parents. They want to love you. They want to walk with you alongside this. They don't want you to be consumed with things that are going to destroy you. Third, will you pray? I think we can all agree that this particular sin is so destructive for the church and for younger generations. Guys, I can't... What they have access to these days is just mind-blowing. We, we need to pray that God would protect our young people, their minds and their hearts. And parents, we want you to know that we're here with you. We have resources to help you. We want to come alongside you. If you're struggling with this and you need help about how to engage this topic with your children, um, and the stats are, are, are stunning in terms of how young kids are these days when they're exposed to things. And so if you, if you need help with that, contact Anna, contact Pastor John this week, contact Kyle or Corey, um, me, any of us. We want you to, to be equipped and prepared to have this conversation at home and we want to come alongside you. But certainly we want to pray. And finally, will you praise the Lord for the victory that we have in Christ? The enemy wants you to stay in condemnation. But I want you to remember Romans 8, 1 this morning. If you are struggling 
with this particular sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The the flames of hell are no longer a risk for you because Christ has saved you. Transformation is possible. New life is possible. Victory in Christ is possible. Jared, you don't know the depth of my sin. You don't know how long I've struggled with this. Listen, you need to quit diminishing what Christ did upon the cross. He conquered sin. End of story. There is a victory that is yours if you want it. If you want it. There's a greater desire for you in Jesus. And there are testimonies after testimonies after testimonies in this room, including my own, to say there is a better desire waiting for you if you will look to Christ. And the joy and the freedom and the happiness that you will find is better than any moment or second of watching something you shouldn't watch. You'll never be happier than when you're closest to God. Pursue that. And see the blessing that God promised. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to weighty, difficult passage, sermon. Do you know Jesus? If you do, are you walking in the victory that he has provided? If not, how can you walk in greater wisdom? Is there someone you can walk in accountability with? Are there things you need to give up and cut out of your life? If you are walking in victory today, what are you doing to make sure that you continue to walk in victory? Too many great men and women of the faith have fallen to think that we shouldn't be on guard. What are you doing to make sure that your heart stays captivated by Jesus Father, we want to be a people worthy of your kingdom. We want to be a people who show your beauty and how you have blessed us and satisfied us as we've pursued righteousness. Help us to be a light. Even in this struggle that's so prevalent in our community, so prevalent in our churches. Help us to be pure so that we can truly see you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand and sing as a response, but maybe some of you need to pray. Maybe some of you need to go find somebody in appropriate way, COVID-appropriate ways, and say, hey, I want you to pray with me. I'm struggling with this. I need some accountability. Maybe you need to text somebody or call somebody. Say, I need to talk with you about this in small group today or later. I'm going to say that the, the altar is open. If you need to come up here and just confess, there's something about the physical action that sometimes helps us commit spiritually. 
I want us to be careful. If you're going to come up here, be sure you wear your mask. But just given the sensitiveness of this particular subject, I think there needs to be a number of ways to respond. We'll give you another way to respond and reach out to some pastors and ministers this week. But for now, however you need to respond, let's stand and do that for the Lord.